0: Friends, I'm thrilled that you chose to join us on this Sunday. And as we continue through this worship service, a reminder that as we worship God through our singing, through our prayers, through our giving after the sermon, this sermon event is also part of our worship because in this moment, we're going to go to God's Word and we're going to be reminded of God's vision, not only for us, but an invitation in this three-week sermon series for us to catch the vision of who God is is. What a significant topic that we get to cover over the course of the next three weeks. I'm kicking us off on this day. And next week, Rebecca Brochet-Morgan, Morgan, who is our director of life groups, will preach on a very significant portion of the Trinity. And then I'll conclude a couple weeks from now as we round out that three-week series and as we get into this, let me, let me say a couple of things uh, before we dive in. The first is this, that here we are, we're about to talk about God. A topic that we could spend all of eternity and not getting beyond perhaps the, the tip of the iceberg to the fullness of who God is. Not only do we have all of Scripture, but we have all of church history that has explored, that is pressed into, that has debated, that has discussed the mystery, the beauty, the wonder of God. And as we go through this sermon series, on one hand, my goal and our goal is that the power of God's Spirit would, on one hand, enlarge our view of God. That it would perhaps break the mold, that it would uh, burst through the boxes that we have painted God into and give us a vision, uh, an inspiration, a, a longing for a God that is so much greater, so much graner, so much more eternal and mysterious and powerful and secure than we could ever imagine. But at the same time, that we would see that this God that is, on one hand, beyond our comprehension, that human language cannot wrap words around, longs, and has made moves towards us. That this God of the cosmos, this God of creation, this God of power, wants and has initiated a personal relationship with us. These two things that seem to be uh, polar opposites, uh, extremes that push away of a God of greatness, but also a God of intimacy, is our hope through this three-week sermon series. Now, you'll notice as we go through this sermon series that this is not a, uh, a class. Uh, this is not systematic theology that we could spend semesters going through, though I remember from my uh, seminary career or my doctorate uh, journey and study, that we spent years studying the topics of God the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Our hope rather is for us to share passionately and personally through God's word and through our experience, how and who we have experienced in God. Now what's remarkable is that we worship one God And yet, all the way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, the first few words of Scripture, that word God in the Hebrew language is the word Elohim. And that word Elohim is actually a plural word, which perhaps can seem confusing because you have this plural word, and yet the Shema, which are um, Jewish friends, Part of our heritage, as people of faith say in the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Shema Israel Adonai Yehinyu, Adonai Yehad, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's this affirmation that God is one and yet a community. And as we go through this sermon series, we're going to discover and press into the grandness and the intimacy of this community of one as we refer to in the Christian faith as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And what we're going to do is we're going to move, perhaps you might think, out of order, because we often say it in that order, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And as I've had conversations with people over the years, it seems to be that some people begin to rank order the members of the Godhead, the members of the Trinity. And they're used to, perhaps they grew up in a world, grew up in a faith community, grew up in a church where they would say, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, perhaps at the end of a prayer. And some people rank, God the Father is up here and God the Son below that and God the Spirit perhaps here or maybe even not part of the picture at all. But what we're gonna intentionally do is we're gonna look at that order of the community of one today from the Son, to next week, the Spirit, to the final week, the Father. And the reason why I and we have chosen to do this is when we have the fullness of Scripture, there are some passages that say, which we'll get to in a moment, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus, that Jesus is the means through which we can know God, that without Jesus, we can't know God, the Father. Jesus, if I can say it this way, is the doorway into this community of one, this relationship that has eternally existed of God, the Father and the Son of the Spirit. None of them have been created. They coexist for all of eternity. God doesn't shape shift from the Father to the Son and then to the Spirit. They coexist eternally. There is this dance of divinity that is one and yet a community of one of lifting the members of the Trinity up, of of serving, of doing the will of each other. This remarkable, beautiful picture of complete unity, complete holiness, complete beauty, complete power, complete courage that is an invitation for us to be a part of. But before we get into the Son and next week the Spirit, and then in the final week, the Father. I wanna share with you something that happened in our world and I shared it in our worship service on our physical campus a few weeks back and the response was just so so great. People talking to me after the service, following up with text message, phone call and email about this particular illustration and it reminds me of why this topic of the Trinity of who God is, is so important. This is not just for head knowledge. This is not just for us to just uh, be able to answer Bible trivia questions in a greater way. This is not about just us being filled up with any sort of knowledge, though that will happen, but more, this is all about knowing and being in relationship with the most important being in the cosmos, who is everything, who is the source of all that we long for, perhaps that we don't even know. So let me share with you this thing that happened in the world a few weeks back. And hang with me here, because perhaps at first when I tell you what it's about, you might say, what, what? why is he talking about Hang with me throughout this whole process. Okay, it has to do with cryptocurrency. Now, some of you are like, oh no. And some of you are like, oh, now I'm listening. <laughs> this thing, cryptocurrency, which uh, has been part of our world for, gosh, uh, over a decade now, We see bits and pieces in the media. Perhaps some of you are familiar with Bitcoin or or perhaps you're familiar with Ethereum. You might have different perspectives on it, but something happened a couple weeks ago that actually made the cover of the Wall Street Journal. Many are saying that this was the biggest event that has ever happened in the history of cryptocurrency. Now, if you could imagine that each of these different chains, they're called on on Web3, Bitcoin and Ethereum, for the purpose of this illustration, imagine them as different eco systems. They are each their own uh, kind of world, digitally speaking. And one of those ecosystems named Terra, also known as Luna, remember that, Earth, Terra, Luna, Moon, remember that for a moment. Uh, This one ecosystem, Terra, that's been around for a couple years, at the center of this ecosystem is a stable coin. Now, follow me here through this. This will all connect. The vitality the health, the growth, the security, the the essence of this ecosystem all revolves around this stable coin. And the more stable this stable coin is, the more healthy, the more vital this, and the more ability for this ecosystem to grow. And so in January 2022, this year in which I'm preaching, uh, the market cap of this ecosystem was $1 billion. And the people who are part of this community, this thing, they saw this as the silver bullet. They, they, they saw it as everything. The yields in which they were getting were at 20%. And in this market, 20% is a massive return. And so they were spreading the news. They were like evangelists to this ecosystem, Terra, And from January 1st to April 1st, the market cap of this, this ecosystem grew from $1 billion to $50 billion. People flocked to this community, flocked to this ecosystem. And it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And now critics from the outside began to take notice of this ecosystem. They looked at the stable coin. They began to, to analyze it. And different than other stable coins that are pegged to or connected to or anchored to actual capital, this stable coin wasn't anchored to anything other than an algorithm. And so critics said, this stable coin will one day destabilize. One day it's going to happen. And so these outside voices were critics into this ecosystem. And those on the inside, inside this thing that had become everything for them, pushed back the criticism. They hopped on social media and they attacked viciously with words. All the critics And they doubled down and the market cap grew and grew and grew. Now, follow this. In this ecosystem, a group of people had taken this thing and they made it everything. And they were immune to and they didn't allow anybody to speak into their life, warning them of the danger. They were blind to all of it. They were bought in. Now, one anonymous individual, no one knows who it is came into this ecosystem after borrowing a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. So just, again, follow me here. This will all connect. Uh, A billion dollars of Bitcoin. They came in and they invested a billion dollars worth into this ecosystem. And in doing so, they became very powerful within this ecosystem. And over the course of the month, over the month of April of 2022, they began to quietly sell off shares. The long story short, in the course of that month, not only were they able to pay back that billion-dollar loan, they were able to personally make $900 million. They doubled their money. But in doing so, this, this powerful movement that came in and came at did something that the critics had warned, that the insiders pushed back and said never would happen. The stable coin destabilized. And it's almost like if you've ever ridden a bike too fast downhill or been on a skateboard going too fast, if you're going too fast, you can begin to speed wobble. And if anybody's had that experience, you know what it feels like and you know that you've got to slow down. Danger is ahead. It's not stable. And more critics said, something is happening. You've got to get out. And they said, no, it's fine. It'll get. And they invested more money and they repaid the stable coin back to the dollar. But then... This happened. Over the course of a weekend, $50 billion was lost. At the height of $116, it plummeted over the course of days down to 0. 0.0002 cents People within this community who had lost all this money, went onto social media, went into the, the community discord and Reddit and would post things like this. I have lost everything. You see, they had taken this thing and they had made it everything. And when they lost money in this thing that they had defined as everything, they came to the conclusion, I have lost. Everything. Reports of suicide have come out from this community. The result of them taking this thing and making it an everything, and when that stable coin became destabilized, caused them to see this thing as everything. They said, I lost everything, and there's no more reason for me to live. And I say this with grief, I say this with heartache, I say this with not an ounce of of mockery because this experience and this chart is actually a chart that every single human being in existence at one point or multiple points their life will experience. You see, this chart isn't just for a particular cryptocurrency. For some of you listening, this chart is a dream that never came to fruition. For some of you, this chart is your health as you see it quickly fading. For some of you, this chart was your marriage. It's now ended. For some of you, this is a relational chart with a loved one, a family member, a child. For some of you, this chart is your reputation. For some of you, this chart is your finances. For some of you, this chart is your ability to always be in control. For some of you, this chart is your ability to always be right. Some of you, you look at this chart and you say, you know, that chart looks a lot like our country in the last couple of years. You see, every single human being on the planet, as we go through life, we live in different ecosystems that give us meaning, that provide us security, that give us peace, that uh, in a broken way, we can take as that thing if we turn it into everything, when that thing gets destabilized, when we lose it, when things fall apart, if we've taken that thing and we've made it everything, or in other words, if we've taken God off the throne of everything in our life and we've made this thing everything, we can find ourselves with no hope unmoored, a foundation that then crumbles, and then we come to a conclusion perhaps that we have lost everything. And the great hope of this sermon series is to be reminded of the true everything, the true everything that is God, And that everything has come into every single thing of your life and says, these are things that I will walk with you through, that I will carry you through, but I want you to see these things not as everything, but me as everything so that you will never lose hope. You will know that you can invest your entire life into God as everything and never lose it. Because the truth is that all these other ecosystems in our lives at the center of it, perhaps it's not a stable coin, but perhaps it's a person. Perhaps it's a president. Perhaps it's an ideal. Perhaps it's a, a level of income. Whatever it might be, if we place our anchor on anything other than God, one day we're gonna experience a speed wobble. And I pray that this sermon series would speak into that environment and say, friends, be careful if you've taken this thing and made it your everything. Two last things on this illustration before we dive into God the Son uh, is this. This this chart on one hand, you could say, is also the chart of every single human being's physical life. Scripture says that every single one of us, one day is going to die. And the truth from God's perspective is, ah, Not even death can separate you, God says, from my love. As we will explore through this sermon series, that even death itself is no match for the chart that is always going up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and this family that God longs for us to be part of as part of the community of one, people of faith. But secondly, Scripture also says that this this chart also represents our spiritual lives as well, that all of us, even in our good deeds, doing stuff for God, outside of a personal faith in Jesus Christ, that all of us are dead in our transgressions. We are all in desperate need of rescue. And so whoever you are, if you've been part of church your entire life, if you are new to this context, most importantly of all, that you would come to know God in a personal way. All right, so why don't we open up our Bibles as we reorient the environment in which we live, in which we breathe, in which we have life, and find God as the true stable coin, the true rock, the true foundation for our lives that will never be shaken, that we will never lose, that will never lose us. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Again, many different doorways into the Trinity that I could go in, many different ways in which I can start with God the Son. I'm gonna start with this and we'll we'll pop from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We'll cover the fullness of Scripture just in a little bit of time that we have together. Okay, let me read for us Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse 15. This is about Jesus, the apostle Paul writes. He, this is Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for in Him all things, catch that, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and things invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Friends, this is remarkable. This reminder that as we go through life, even as we read Scripture, that Jesus isn't just one thing among many things. He's not just a teacher, not just a great man. He's not just a miracle worker, not just a a figure in human history alongside all the other figures of human history. This passage that opens up the door to the fullness of Scripture as we dive into it, reminds us that Jesus is not just one thing among any. He is everything above all things. And this is so key for us to catch. There is a perspective that could be had of admiring Jesus, but not worshiping Jesus. There can be a perspective of studying Jesus, but not knowing Jesus personally. Right here, right now, Scripture says that Jesus, as we get to in the moment, that Jesus is uncreated. He is Eternally coexisted with God the Father and God the Son. This passage says that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Jesus from Nazareth, who walked on this earth for 33 years before he was crucified, yes, was fully human, but he was also fully God. Not 50 50, no other ratio, fully human, fully God. The most beautiful life that ever existed. And yet Jesus existed long before he was born in Nazareth. This remarkable, remarkable truth of this man born in Bethlehem. We can look all the way back in John 1 and Genesis 1. So follow me here. Again, we're not going to go systematically. We're not going to go doctrinally. Uh, I'm going to share with you just this overflowing level of excitement of that which has just invaded my heart in a beautiful way, transformed my thinking of who God the Son is over the last 22 years as I've been following Jesus. uh, I'm going to try to just let it overflow. So just follow in the minutes ahead. In John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, would love for you to turn there. The gospel writer John uses remarkable words, speaking into a a Greco-Roman context. And he says this, in the beginning was the Word. Remember that. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him and without Him not one thing came into being. And what has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. You can hear language from the gospel writer John that echoes the same language that Paul wrote many decades later, that there is this one using the personal pronoun he, this is all about Jesus, is the agent through whom all things were created. Remember Colossians 1. All things were created through Him and for Him. John 1 says that all things came into being through Him and without Him, nothing came into being. Now let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. I love sharing this with my Jewish friends. I have so many neighbors and friends and we we talk about God's Word. We talk about the Hebrew Scriptures and it's amazing to see God the Son, the Word of God, long before Jesus was born in the first century, pre-incarnate, eternally existing, for example, in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning when God, again, the word God is Elohim. It's a plural word, Elohim, plural, You get one. In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. A little foreshadow here, that, that wind, the Hebrew word ruach, is also the same word for the the spirit of God. We even see here the spirit of God involved in creation. And it says, and then God said, let there be light. Those words were the catalyst for light bursting forth out of the darkness. We believe perhaps it was Moses who penned these words inspired by the Holy Spirit And many, many, many millennia later, we have John saying, in the beginning was the Word. So we see here, and this is a lofty, uh, hard to wrap our mind around truth, that God creates all things. And out of that agent, that, that catalytic moment, The universe has been expanding ever since. Scientists are studying the cosmos and they're saying that that it's expanding. And if you rewind it, it comes back to a singular event. And many scientists have attributed that to what they call the Big Bang Theory. Actually, I I believe in the Big Bang Theory in the sense that all things came from a singular event. As other faiths believe, perhaps, that the earth was created out of a a war, for example, and earth was created. Uh, That's not at all what I believe because that's not what Scripture says. There's this catalytic moment in which all things began, in which all things since then have spread out. But I also know what the Big Bang sounded like. Scripture says it sounded like this, let there be light. And the words that came forth from God, the words that came forth from the community of one, John says that those words, they were with God in the beginning, That word was God in the beginning. That word is the catalyst through whom all things were created and nothing was created outside of God's word. And the remarkable thing is that the apostle Paul and and John see that that word one day became flesh. But long before Jesus came in the flesh as a baby fully human and fully God, there are images, there are pictures of not only the Word of God, but also this fascinating foreshadow of Him coming in person. Again, I don't have time to unpack all these things. I I, I could spend decades unpacking all of this. But as you get through creation, as we get into the garden where we have a zoomed-in look of creation. God creates in God's image and says, let us make humankind in our image, male and female. God created them. It's a great reminder that the, if I can say it this way, that, that humanity that reflects the image of God is both male and female, as it says in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But those first humans, as we see in Genesis 2, live in this place of perfect relationship with God. And God walks with humanity in the cool of the day, and yet they chose their way rather than God's way. They ate from the one thing that they they weren't supposed to eat. This is so part of the human condition. We go after the things that we don't perhaps sometimes really want or really need, and yet if we've been told, no, we, we instantly want it. Uh, I believe it was Martin Luther who said this, that when he was a young child, there was this experience where he snuck into a neighbor's field and stole uh, some some pears. And when caught and talked about later on, uh, uh, they asked him, well, well, his parents, why, why would you do this? Were you hungry? And he said, no. Okay, well, do you like pears and we're going to leave it for later? No. Well, why did you take it? And he thought about it and he thought, why why would I steal something that I don't necessarily want or don't necessarily need because I'm not hungry? And he came to the conclusion, the reason why I took it is because I was told it was forbidden. And the first humans, when they take from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they take the one thing that God told them not to take and the relationship with God, each other, all of creation was fractured in that moment it was the beginning of the breakdown of all of creation, all the good that God had created. That God, the Son, is the Word of God created, not only for, but also for Himself. That was fractured. They were filled with shame. They hid from each other. They blamed one another. They hid from God. They covered one another with, with leaves, which is a foreshadow of simply what religiosity is that we cover over in our own works in our own ways, the shame that we have from the brokenness that we have committed. And the beautiful act of what God does next is actually a foreshadow of the fullness of what God the Son accomplishes many millennia later, because you can read about this here in Genesis chapter three. It's this remarkable, remarkable truth. You can read about it later, but God basically, he he sacrifices an animal and he takes the skin of that animal and covers over the first humans, that their shame is covered, their disgrace is covered, their brokenness is covered because of a sacrifice. And then God speaks to the first humans, and he says this remarkable thing. He says that there is going to be, in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent, God's enemy. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, I want you to catch this. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it is the first prophecy of God the Son. God says in that moment, after you sacrifice and covered over humanity, He says to God's enemy, the one that had caused them to forget and to to take the thing, the one thing that they weren't supposed to take. He says, I will put enmity. I will put something in between you and my creation. Remember this, something will stand in the way that I will put, God says in between your destruction and the life and the vitality and the hope and the peace and the security of my creation, those that have been made in the image of God, and he, catch that pronoun, not it, he will strike your head as you strike his heel. Now catch this language just for a moment. Uh, A strike to the heel is never a mortal blow. A strike to the head is... God, Elohim, this community of one speaks to Satan in the form of a serpent and says that there is one that you will strike, but it won't kill him. And in doing so, in fact, he will destroy you. I want you to remember that for later. As we get through the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures, I also want you to catch that there is this this language of The angel of the Lord that appears dozens of times in the Hebrew Scriptures. And what's so remarkable in the Hebrew language and in the English, where it says, the angel of the Lord appeared, it doesn't say an angel of the Lord appeared, which it says in other passages in the Old Testament. It says, in some cases, the angel of the Lord appeared. And the first instance that the angel of the Lord appears is to Hagar in the desert. I want you to catch this. In the midst of shame, in the midst of of Hagar being cast away by, by Abram, in the midst of all the mess of that relationship, the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar and comforts her, ministers to her, consoles her, reminds her of her identity and gives her hope for a future and says that she will be protected and provided for. This angel of the Lord also appears to Moses many, many decades, many centuries later in the burning bush. And it says that the angel of the Lord appeared in the burning bush and has a conversation with Moses. And the angel of the Lord is the one that responds when Moses says, whom shall I tell my people? The nation of Israel sent me if I'm going to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And there's this response from the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. And it says, Tell them that I am sent you. Another instance in which the angel of the Lord appears is to Joshua right before he goes into the promised land. And Joshua says to the angel of the Lord, are you for me or are you against me? And the angel of the Lord basically says, no. And in that moment, Joshua falls down and worships. Because he catches that the angel of the Lord isn't for him or against him, but rather he needs to decide, am I for or against the angel of the Lord? And he bows down and he worships. And I want you to catch this. All throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, it is said that you should worship God and God alone. There are other instances where angels appear to human beings. And sometimes humans fall down and worship and the angels say, don't worship me, get up. You're not supposed to worship a created being. And yet this, the angel of the Lord, doesn't tell Joshua to stop worshiping. Why, why, why? The angel of the Lord, in all these different appearances, is the pre-incarnate Son of God. You see, Jesus isn't just contained within the New Testament. Jesus is dripping from every single page of the Old Testament as well, not just in explicit ways where we see him show up, where he creates all things, not just in specific ways where the angel of the Lord appears, but also as we studied many uh, weeks ago in the sermon series the encounters that changed everything, we know that on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears to the disciples and he says to them, all the things in all the scriptures are all about me. And so to catch this, that that Jesus isn't just one thing among many things. He's not just one thing alongside the law. He's not just one thing alongside the sacrificial system. He's not just one thing alongside all the kings and the prophets and, the, and, and, and all the things that happen in the Hebrew Scriptures. No, Jesus says all of those things are all about me. Creation points to Jesus as the creator of all. God's redemption history for the nation of Israel When you think about Moses leading them out of bondage in in Egypt and into the promised land, reminds us that Jesus is the true and better Moses that leads us out of bondage of sin into the promised land of a relationship with God. We see in figures like Deborah and David and Jonathan and Samuel, these images, these foreshadows of who Jesus actually is. Jesus says about the law, he says, I haven't come to abolish it. I'm not just the next thing after that thing. Actually, I have come to fulfill it. All of the law is about Jesus. All of the sacrificial system is about Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus' death on the cross put an end to the sacrificial system. Again, the last 22 years, my mind has begun to stretch, to explode, to pause and just worship as I begin to discover there is not one page of Scripture where Jesus is absent. It's all about Him. And the remarkable thing is that when we begin, perhaps with an understanding of God, Elohim, through the lens of the Son, whom God makes God's self known to us through, I'll confess this, all the things in scripture that don't make sense, all the things that God does that I say, what on earth is this about? Things that perhaps come across as as violent, things that come across as unexplainable. There is this invitation that Jesus gives me and Jesus gives us to understand each of those contexts through the lens of who God the Son is. Is. Let's go back to John chapter 1. And as John continues on with this remarkable truth that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God, uh, it says this in verse 10. Uh, he was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He, this is all about Jesus, came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them power to become children of God. There's a little foreshadow to the last sermon in this three-part sermon series of why do we call God Father? and Why the significance of that, that familiar relationship in which God is a parent and we are God's children? We'll get to that in the last week, but it continues on. In verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and full of truth. Verse 16, from his fullness, from the fullness of Christ. We have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17, the law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. It is impossible for us to have any knowledge, to have any understanding, to have any relationship with the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, of Yahweh, these names for God, of Elohim, of this community of one. It's impossible for us to know God, to understand God outside of God the Son, Jesus the Christ, the word that became flesh. Jesus is our doorway into that relationship. Now, it's remarkable, wherever Jesus went, not only did he live the most beautiful life on this earth, he was filled with both grace and he was filled with truth. And I love that language that John is using. He wasn't balanced in grace and truth. He was full of grace and full of truth. He didn't compromise grace to have truth, and he didn't compromise truth to have grace. It was like the volume knobs were turned all the way up to 11 of both grace and truth, wherever Jesus went. He spoke with truth, but he spoke with truth in love. And his grace wasn't at the sacrifice or at the expense of truth. And he was able to do that which no other human has been able to do. He was able to do that which no other worldview is able to do. He was able to do that which no other perspective or movement or anything else in all of creation is able to do. He was some able, he was able to live in this life that was filled with grace and truth and to make God known to us. Now, remember I said a bit ago that the angel of the Lord would appear multiple times in the Old Testament. One of those in which uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and he said that my name is I Am. If you've studied the life of Jesus, you know that throughout his earthly ministry on seven different occasions, Jesus applied that divine name to himself. You know, some people have missed this, or they've said about Jesus, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. Actually, in fact, he did on many occasions. And if you read the history of his life in the gospel accounts, it was when he did that, that that's when the religious leaders were enraged. They said he was blaspheming. He said things like, before Abraham was, I am. What a big statement to, to make. As it's been said before, he is either a lunatic or a liar or he's the son of God. Before Abraham, this man who lived in human history, uh, thousands of years before the birth of Jesus, he says, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He says, no, before Abraham was, I am. This unchanging God, this person within the Trinity, this person within the community of one, the person within the Trinity that is God the Son, that is the Word of God, that is the angel of the Lord, is the great I am, making the I am, the God self known to us as humans. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door, all have to enter through me to be in a relationship. And in the most remarkable moment, one of my favorite moments of the ministry and the life of Jesus, when he is about to be arrested, a detachment of Roman soldiers go in the garden, just outside the garden of Gethsemane after he's crossed the Kidron Valley. He's been betrayed by Judas and they approach him and Jesus says to them, whom are you looking for? He initiates the conversation and they say, Jesus from Nazareth. They have a view of him that is too small. A view that perhaps some of us have. They have a view that he isn't the great I am. They have a view of him that he isn't the word of God. They have a view of him that isn't the angel of the Lord. They don't have a view of him as being part of the community of one, the Godhead. They say Jesus from Nazareth. A very earthly phrase to a limited view of who he actually was. And he responds with two words. In the Greek language, it's ego and me. Unfortunately, most English translations don't actually get this. You see, most English translations say, I am he. They add that word he. But in the actual Greek language, the language of the New Testament, he doesn't say I am he, which would make sense grammatically. He simply says, I am. And in that moment, John, the gospel writer, says that this detachment of Roman soldiers, battle-hardened warriors, professional soldiers, paid to stand on their feet with, with swords, with torches. They fall to the ground. You see, in that moment, there is a, perhaps a, A ray of glory. I don't don't know exactly what happens. Something happens in that moment that Jesus lets just a little sliver of the fullness of the Godhead that has created, that sustains all things, that is the author of salvation, the maker of heaven and earth. They not only created all things, but all things were created for. Something happened in that moment where it cracked open and these battle-hardened, detachment, hundreds of Roman soldiers, they fall to the ground. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And again, they say, Jesus from Nazareth. And in that moment, with all the power of the Godhead, the ability to call angel armies to, to destroy those that would take and arrest and mock and beat and torture and eventually crucify Jesus, Jesus chooses to give his life. His life was never taken. He chooses to give his life. And he says, then save them and take me. The maker of heaven and earth through whom all things are created, chooses to go to the cross, to fulfill the law, to end the sacrificial system. It says in Colossians chapter 1, to reconcile all things to himself. How? Colossians 1 says, by making peace through his blood on the cross. This remarkable truth that the Son of God that has existed eternally, that is before all things, to sustain all things, is on a mission. And as the writer of Hebrews says that For the joy set before him, he disregarded the cross, or he disregarded the the shame of the cross. And for the joy set before him, he endured. He endured to the point of death. What was the joy set before him? It was you and it was me. This Son of God longs to be in relationship with you, to not only make God the Father known to you, but also to give you the Holy Spirit. And as we will get into in the third week, this remarkable truth, I'm just going to Tee it up right now. Jesus also gives us the mind of Christ. Yes, in the image of God, yet we can be filled with the spirit of God and the mind of Christ, this limitless potential that God longs for us. So as we just pause right here, this is not an end. This is not an exhaustive. We can go on forever, but just to pause right here and to pray as we continue on in worship that God loves us. And he has demonstrated his love to us in this, as it says in the book of Romans, that while we were still sinners, like those first humans, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you were on a mission before the foundations of the earth, not only to create all things, not only to continually meet us in the midst of our brokenness, not only to carry us and to walk with us, but also to show us a new way of living, to show us that we can't do it on our own, that we'll never measure up to the law that that makes it possible for us to be in right relationship with God. And yet you fulfill the law through your perfect life. You put an end to the sacrificial system through your sacrificial atoning, substitutionary death on the cross. And yet you defeated death. You rose from the grave. And after 40 days appearing to Over 500 people, you ascend to the right hand of the Father in which you are there right now. You pour out the Spirit to all people who believe in you, and you have promised that you will come again. Different than you came the first time, as a baby, you will come in power to restore, to reclaim, to finish what you started, and to establish God's reign and rule here on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, give us a vision of how matchless and marvelous and majestic and grand you are while at the same time knowing that you long to have a personal, intimate relationship with us. Jesus, the great I am, the word of God, the maker of heaven and earth, our Lord, our savior, our rescuer, our redeemer. We worship you now. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.